What's up, recovery fans? I'm your host, Rodney, and you're listening to Vicious Cycle Recovery. Hey everybody, welcome back to Vicious Cycle Recovery Podcast. If you feel like getting in touch with me for any reason whatsoever, you'll find a link to my email in the description below, as well as Instagram and Twitter and TikTok. A lot of those pages are to do with the hobby that I luckily enough to get involved with once I decided that it was better to do the actions to get trained into scuba diving than it was to improve my addiction and coke using skills. The, wasn't that awesome? The coke using skills. Never really improved. I kind of kept chasing the same thing. I have no idea if anyone can relate to that. If you can, listen up. Got a few tips. We're going to talk a little bit about healing the addicted brain. Start off with, though, I'll share with you that in 2001, my parents came up with the plan and I followed their idea that going to a private treatment center just outside of Toronto would be probably the most effective because it cost the most. So I spent 60 days in there, which, not going to lie, there were some cool perks about uh, that system. We got to go to a, a Blue Jays game. We had a dietitian. We had, a, I think we had yoga, meditation, um, massage. I'm trying to think off the top of my head, what else? Ooh, um, that's where I was on 9-11. Walked into one of the rooms where people were, you know, kind of chatting in a quiet voice and discovered that one plane had just flown into one of the towers and so I was watching this and as we were watching the second plane came in holy that was uh that was quite the event and that showed me um, there's evil in the world uh it's still Still to this day, I remember exactly where I was when that happened. And, yeah, just a touch on a little memory there. So, while I was in there, uh, we met with a guy. His name is Father Leo Booth. And I'll put a little link or description down below in the comments. Uh, yeah. So he was more of a, um, what do you say, you don't have to be religious to be spiritual. So I kind of fell into that. I, I like that. It's, it's, it fits me, fits me better than being straight up religion. Um, the spirituality thing was an easier way for me to accept that there's something out there that's bigger than me, for sure. Okay, anyways, so Father Leo Booth has this, uh, basically it's little meditations for daily living. And today I wanted to start off with uh, one of his readings. And this one is about culture. So we're going to focus on culture for a moment. We are capable of great things. 
This history of humankind, although surrounded by wars and unspeakable acts of violence, is also the history of art, music, poetry, and romance. Each person is capable of great and noble acts, but do we want to do them? Can we be honest, loving, and caring people only if we choose to be that? Hmm? The power of freedom and choice is the determining factor in all our lives. Each culture has imaginative and creative features, but it is the people that make them happen. Nothing will happen unless people decide to make it happen. So it is with the culture of recovery. The people who make up the recovering community in all the addictions are the people who make a decision and act upon it. Talk is cheap and cruel unless it is followed by an event. Decisions must be realistic. We all have the capacity to be honest and kind. May I not only be grateful for my culture, but may I live to add something to it. I like that. You know, and I, I noticed how it speaks on, sure, I made a decision. Now I have to act upon it. And to the best of my knowledge, that's the key part of getting into recovery. Starting to recover. So I'm recovering. And they put me in the recovery ward. And eventually, I'm recovered from that hopeless state. And... In my way of thinking, it's kind of like a gunshot wound. So, you get shot with a gun, or stabbed, or something vicious like that. And they will take me to the hospital and put me in a recovery room. I will start recovering from that injury. Eventually, I will be recovered from that gunshot wound. I am not bulletproof. I am not, uh, not available for that kind of lifestyle anymore. Unless I decide that's what I want to act upon. There's no guarantee that I won't get shot again. But at the time, if I do the work, I will stay recovered from that gunshot wound, obviously, because I didn't get shot again. And I'll do the work to stay that way. That's my take on the recovery, recovering, recovered um, wording. And as we use it, um, I consider myself a gentleman who has recovered from that hopeless state. And uh, just here to share some strength, some hope, some experience with others. On that note, let's skip back to healing the addicted brain. A few years back, my mom went to a conference, and at that conference, she purchased a book for me, brought it back, and the title is Healing the Addicted Brain. So this doctor is basically a science-based alcoholism and addiction recovery program. He's combining the therapies that we're all pretty much used to or know about, um, which I'll sum it up here for you. 
Addiction is a lifelong dis-ease, and to many who are caught in its web, it can seem like finding the right treatment takes just about as long, which is true in some cases. I haven't had that experience myself. I, I found what works, and when I didn't work it, it didn't work. Uh, but for me, you know, the, the abstinence model is what I go for. Um, other folks have other opinions, you know, harm reduction or, or, or going that way. Hey, if that works for you and, and your life is positive and you're a contributing member of society and you uh, take care of your family, those kind of things, then if that works great. Have at her. Anyways, so this healing the addicted brain starts out with it's a disease. Everything you know about addiction treatment is wrong. That caught me for a moment when that was the first sentence in the book. Well, screw you. I know stuff. What? How are you telling me that, that? How are you saying that? How rude. Well, he went on to say a couple things here, which to me, I agree with some comments and some I don't. But to start off with this person, Dr. Urshel, I think it's pronounced. Uh, I'll have a link in the comments in the description below. I can safely make this statement to most lay people, plus an alarmingly large number of health professionals, without fear of being contradicted. Here we go. Most people know very little about addiction, and what they do know, or think they know, boils down to this. Addicts can quit if they really want to. All they have to do is commit wholeheartedly to their treatment, which consists largely of talking therapy, individual or group psychotherapy or 12-step programs that's the sum total of most people's knowledge of addiction treatment but it is dead wrong is it dead wrong uh, that's a bit strong I'm I haven't gone through this system of treatment but it caught my attention and I figured hey if there's other other ways out there to get us out from under? Right on. My hats are off to you. So, 70 to 80% of participants in any addiction treatment program will not be successful. No wonder people think that alcohol or drug addiction treatment doesn't work. Which makes sense. Although, I was shown the odds are a little different than that. Uh, because some folks will show up and then we've now we've wrecked their using because now there's that they have that in their head that there is a way out they don't stick around though but they know they have that knowledge with them others they get into it you know they improve their lives they improve their contributing member of society and their life gets a bit better they learn some things about themselves and how to handle issues with people places and things so those guys or girls may end up using again or or not i don't know but there's some success there as well that idea is with them and they've tried it out others like myself or i know a lot of folks they got it you know they, we understood it we knew what it took we knew the work that was going to be involved and we went after that and our lives improved twofold so that means Let's say out of a group of 10 people, five got this 
right away the treatment program or, or their therapy or their fellowship um, and using I don't know, whichever step system they used or program not the program but designed for living they use that so five out of the let's say 25 out of the 20 got it right away and they changed and they recovered and they got their life going five of them after a few um experiments and a few slips and a, a few this times it'll be different they got it as well okay so your percentage is going up another five came around you know they showed up uh they may have given up a bit of their way. Um, they've worked through a few processes or, or a few steps, and they step out, and, and yeah, they've they, they've got it under control now. They're they can use or drink um, like a normal person, let's say. It's kind of sketchy. And then there's another five that you know they hear things. Uh, and they show up maybe for a meeting or they talk to someone who is, who has recovered and is sharing a positive message. So they have it in their head. Like I said, they just don't act on it. So their life, like I said, has changed. They've, they've, they know they can do something to get better. So their drinking and using careers effed up. So there, so out of 20, you've, you've affected 100% or you've had an effect, an effect of some sort on 100% of the people out of that there's a lower 25 maybe 50% will get a little closer to changing their lives I would say and then the other 50 have changed their lives significantly not bad I say not bad so treatment facilities uh, I'm kind of getting off the getting off the track here but for me, treatment facilities, let's put it this way. I went to, I've been to two. Uh, very different. One private and one government funded. And that was it. After that, the question is, what, why would I go back to a treatment facility what's what am i going to learn that i didn't learn the first time what's different about what they're going to show me um this time how is how is that gonna work so it kind of i have no idea who mentioned this to me uh but what they had this person had said was the treatment facility what happens is if you picture yourself sitting in the chair that you used most of your life for while you were using uh you, you would call a dealer from the phone that sat beside you and you would hang out with other users you know they'd come over and you know you, your, your quote friends that showed up when there was things that they could smoke or drink okay it's that chair what the treatment center does or in, in my view it reaches a hand in, it picks me up from the chair, it puts me over here in a treatment center and do some work. You know, I get really involved with that or whoever goes gets involved with that treatment center and that's awesome. That's good and they do the work there. Then the hand comes in after 28, 30 days, picks me up or us, picks me up, 
swings me over, puts me back in that same chair beside that same phone. It's a little bit more difficult to adjust to that, I've found. It's getting used to now being back. All I did was take a break from the chair and the phone and and the surroundings. So... What I found for my, the second time I went to treatment, it was a different facility. Uh, they were more structured around a 12-step fellowship, but also introducing just more knowledge about uh, drugs and alcohol and the use and, and what they're made of and how they affect the chemicals in our body and the, the different ways that our lives can be affected by that. And with this treatment center, what I did was I signed up for day program. I had to show up there at 8.30 in the morning and I was there till 3.30 in the afternoon. Then I had to look after myself from 3.30 p.m. until the next morning at 8.30. During this time, I would access fellowships or other services, psychology, psychiatry, those things while I wasn't in those uh, hours at that treatment facility what that did was uh, gave me a little bit more chance a little bit more ability to get used to living differently in the same place where I had been living and using so for me that was that was effective I since then I have not found it necessary to uh, return to a treatment center this is my game, my story. Uh, could be different for other folks, and I know there are some drugs, of course, and alcohol that require longer stays, and that's mainly to get the those drugs out of the system, the alcohol out of the system in a safe way, safe managed way. Uh, that's I don't have the experience with doing the those heavier. What I did was water-based, so not fat-based, or water-soluble, not fat-soluble. What happens is, I do cocaine, uh, after about 72 hours, once I've stopped, after about 72 hours, it's out of my system. It's, you know, I've peed it out, or it's just, it's it's not in the system anymore because it's water-soluble. What happens, though, if we're doing... Uh, let's say methamphetamines or we're doing heroin or or marijuana cannabis weed whatever you want to call it devil's lettuce those things actually soak into our fat cells and thus they're in our system a lot longer and we could find ourselves one gentleman told me his experience of being in a treatment center hadn't touched weed and I don't know, it'd been a while now, six months or so, and he was on a treadmill, and he started to feel high, and he was just uncomfortable, and he just, it just was weird, and his vision was kind of, he said, I feel like I'm high, I feel like I just smoked a big joint, and one of the counselors there just told him that, mar- this is, he said, the marijuana is in your fat cells, so when you burn off of fat cells, or you burn fat cells, you're also releasing that leftover THC into your system. Ah, okay. So I, I got that. I understood that. I had similar, similar reactions 
myself when I would smell ammonia or I would see uh, or hear people um, crush a pop can. And if any of you know what I'm talking about out there, ammonia, the smell of ammonia is, ooh, the smell of ammonia or seeing baking soda in someone's fridge or the pop can. Those things, I'm not going to use the word trigger because they didn't trigger a negative response. They were more of that, hmm, okay, this is weird. Why do I, uh, why does that smell bug me? And of course, I figured out what it was. And Okay, well, and I didn't obsess about it. That's it. It happens and I just kind of, hmm, okay, moving on. It's not in my system anymore, so I can't really crave it. So, and luckily I don't have to obsess about it today. So, <laughs> let's get back on track here, healing the addicted brain. So we talked a little bit about the difference uh, of what are people's knowledge of recovery or addiction or how that goes about. Anyways, conclusively, addiction is a chronic physical disease that attacks the brain, damaging key parts of the cerebral cortex and limbic system. That I can go with. I can go with that. Uh, on top of that, there's a couple of myths out there that can lead to unsuccessful treatment. And so I'll let you know, before I check into that, did you know that alcoholism is the third leading cause of death right on the heels of heart disease and cancer? And yet it gets overlooked quite a bit. Quite a bit. So maybe you can agree with these myths. These are our ability to prevent and treat addiction is drastically hampered by two myths. Myth number one, addiction is a kind of personality disease. So that's when we get, uh, you know, what a loser. They're just a sinner who refuses to face up to their evil ways. You know what? Or uh, weaklings that can't uh, suck it up, buttercup. It's uh, just a bad habit, you know. And of course, media plays into that. And endless, we see all sorts of stars that's gone through this. And stories about Lohan, Manelli, Downey Jr., and a whole bunch of others. And of course, after spending all those folks, you know, spend 80 grand, 100 grand for a month. And they seem to race right out to a bar or to meet their dealers. And you know what? Since they appear to be getting the best possible or at least most expensive treatment available. Basically, it's their own fault. They can't stay sober. You're not trying hard enough. So that's, I commented earlier about, you know, paying more means it's better treatment. I don't know. It could be if you're uh, doing the work while you're there. It could be. I don't know that it's worth any more. Uh, All right. Myth number two. Talking therapy is the only significant treatment. Talking therapy is a series of discussions through which the addicted person learns the coping skills needed to deal effectively with stress and other issues related to the addiction. Now, most health professionals and addiction counselors alike believe that the best possible treatment for alcohol or drug addiction is some sort of talking therapy. Uh, this approach works for some and 
some healthcare providers and others, addiction is not treatable. That's that. That's a common thing. Which uh, what? What do you mean not treatable? So these two myths or fallacies put a stranglehold on the development of effective new therapies for addiction. They've robbed addicted people of their families of hope and have cost our community millions of lives and hundreds of billions of dollars. Now, today we can definitively say that it is a chronic medical illness, a disease of the brain that can and must be treated like other chronic medical illnesses. Which, you know what, that's fine. That's, That's awesome. I'm glad that they have have that available these days it's it's not uh i don't know somewhere in the big book it mentions hey we're not the only folks here if you can find something that works for you awesome that's awesome the more things the more programs the more systems that are available to people then the more chances we have of folks changing their lives for the better and I support that, changing our lives for the better. I'm a big fan of changing our lives for the better. Uh, so yeah, on that note, I'm just going to close off today's stories with this personal experience. When someone is struggling and they reach out and they show up, let's say at a meeting, and they're looking for answers they're looking for a solution on to their problem and we want to be available for that that's that's one of the main reasons for me anyway while i have some for myself but the main reason to i show up for these meetings is for that person that's new and is for that person that would like to hear something about um hope that was the main thing i just i wanted to hear something about hope and so for me when i read that have recovered from that gave me hope so i just try to share that with the newcomers that 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 show up and then the actual work is going through those steps as they're directly as they're lined out in there i don't need any other worksheets or or um how to on the, the steps the dis the dirt actions that we need to take are right in that book you just follow them through and they're laid out through the pages and i like that system so that's what i'll do if someone asks then i will my response is usually read the first 164 pages call me when you're done that and we'll go through the work i'm not a doctor I'm not a relationship counselor. I'm not a financial manager. I'm here to help you go through a process that leads you to changing your thinking and your acting. And that's completely up to you. You want to do that or not. I'll still be here either way. I'm not going anywhere. Hmm. So that's pretty cool that I can say that today. Do some work to stay recovered from that hopeless spot. And I'm not going anywhere. Makes me more available to share that message to the next person that shows up. The next person that's struggling a little bit with recovery and wants to hear something positive. And that is enough for today. If you're still here and you've listened to this whole episode, 
Thank you very much for listening to this episode. I'll be back again with more hope and strength and knowledge and actions on the next episode. And again, thank you very much. First things first. Ease does it. Okay. Take care, everybody. See you on the flip side.